Hello, oh, this is Jim. So I'm coming back to you again with one of these things. This is my first one in about a month. When was my last one? My last one was, yeah, a month ago today, actually. I have I've not been, well, I have been turning this thing on and I have been recording, but I've not been doing it for a public broadcast. It's just been, uh, you know, podcasting for myself. It's my, uh, it's my quarantine therapy. It's just uh, turn this thing on and uh, start ranting and raving and you know that uh, tends to be very cathartic um, but no I haven't I've, I haven't actually done this because I've kind of gotten back to some semblance of normal in the last month or so uh, like I I've, I've actually started going out on a regular basis uh, for the first two months yeah mid-march to mid-may I, I was just okay I have to stay in I can't go out at all except to go grocery shopping because that's what, uh, you know, is the responsible thing to do. And, uh, yeah, just kind of freaked out about the whole virus thing being out there. Uh, I have not been afraid at all, really. I've, I've been going out walking, not quite every day, but close to it, just uh, with a facial covering, trying to, like, uh, keep my distance from people. That's actually harder than I would have thought. I'm, I'm very, very surprised. When I go out and, and walking, you'll pass people on the street who are just, they're, they're just like in the middle of the sidewalk and you try and press yourself over to one side and they'll like kind of like actually move like kind of closer towards you. Like they'll drift towards you in their stride. And it's like, okay, you've got, you don't want to be getting any closer to me. You've got plenty of room over there. Just move away and... But yeah, it's just, it's trying to do the dance. I'm just trying to stay away from people. It's surprising how many people just don't even try. People just don't have their faces covered. And they're just, I don't know. It'd be very, very easy to look at all that and say, okay, human nature is pretty, it'd be easy to get down and be very pessimistic about people. But the problem is I think there's sample bias there because most people, I went, out, I went outside yesterday and I walked up to the Marina District, which is quite a ways. That's that's much further than you're supposed to be walking just for exercise. And Saturday night, and there's nobody out. Like North Beach is just clear. Uh, the pier, beaches, there, there's no one around. I went to the Palace of Fine Arts for the first time, and there's there, there was maybe a few people on like the lawn overlooking the lagoon, but there was not a lot of people. Uh, so people are, I think, mostly staying in like the whole stay at home is the first recommendation. If you have to go out and do the social distancing thing, most people, it seems to me, are just staying home and not going out unless they have to. So the few people that you see out on the streets who are just being inconsiderate, like kind of just, they don't care. They're not trying to keep a distance from you. Uh, you get out of their way, but they're really not trying to get out of yours and they're not wearing any kind of facial covering. You know, that just cough as you as you pass them, you know, maybe even towards you. But they're, they're definitely in the minority. It's a very, very small proportion of people. It seems like most people are taking it pretty seriously, at least in San Francisco. Um, yeah, at least on my side of town. I, uh, I've, I've heard things about the West. Actually, I went over to the West side of town. A former coworker of mine, I went over and we had some beers in the panhandle uh 
just uh, close to Golden Gate Park. And maybe about half of the people there had face masks on and were observing social distancing, and the other half were not. And there were a lot of people out in the park. Like, it was pretty busy. Um, like, my, me and my friend just kind of sat on the lawn, uh, on the grass, uh, just sort of like six, ten feet away from each other and talked. And there were people around consistently. People were passing us by, you know, uh, there's a lot of people over there. And it seems like, um, only about half were really observing protocol. Um, so I don't know. This side of town, from what I've seen, what I tend to see on a regular basis, it seems like people are, are doing okay. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so yes, I haven't really been holed up. I haven't just been sitting in my place. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a burrito, uh, from a restaurant. Like I actually went out and got restaurant food, uh, last week. I think last Monday, I want to say. Uh, and that was just, that was wonderful. That was the first thing I'd gotten from a restaurant in over three months. You know, since then, I've just been doing, you know, salmon, like steamed salmon, vegetables, um, oatmeal with peanut butter, maybe some bananas, like basically that and not much else um, for three months, just very monotonous. And I was kind of like, I probably should like drag this out because as soon as I have restaurant food, that's going to be the end of it. I'm going to have to be back on the, you know, fall off the wagon and I'm going to have to start going out and getting food again, which is not only pricey, but it's, you know, it's risk going in anywhere and getting stuff. It's like, it, it is putting you at risk for being exposed because you're in close proximity with people. There's people who are preparing the food that you are eating. Obviously, this is not the safest thing to do. I've, I've been trying to put it off. But, uh, yeah, I did it about a week ago. And now I, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I'm not satisfied just eating oatmeal and vegetables, uh, and then, you know, some form of protein every day. I have to eat some food. So, uh, starting to do that. Um, starting to branch out a little bit. Like I went down, Today I woke up and I had some oatmeal and vegetables and I, I got to be about dinner time and I felt famished. I felt like I had not eaten in, in days. I don't know why. It might be because I went out and walked. I don't know how far I walked yesterday. It was like, must have been close to 10 miles. Taking the long way around to the marina district and then back kind of through the city. Um, it ends up being longer than you expect because if, if you're, if you're walking along on a block, you know, if there's a crowd of people coming towards you and you don't have the option of like going into the street, sometimes you just have to like turn and go out of your way to like avoid the crowd. Uh, so it ends up being quite a bit. It might be, I, I just went for a really long walk yesterday. Um, just kind of weaving through the city. Um, might've just, might've just warmed me out. I woke up feeling pretty famished and, uh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so back, uh, back on just getting food. I, I went down to Safeway today and got one of those, uh, bake it yourself pizzas that they have. I cooked that thing and ate the whole thing in, I don't know, I must have taken it down in under four minutes. Just inhaled it. Oh, it was the best pizza I've ever had. It was so delicious. Oh, I miss these things so much. 
Uh, and I, I really do miss, I don't know, things I can't say I miss this because I never really did it. But when I'm out walking now and there's people around, I want to talk to everyone. You know, maybe not like a couple that are engaged in conversation. I would want to interrupt them, but you pass individuals. And I just want to stop on the street and talk to all of them. I don't, I don't care who they are. I just want to stop and like have a go. I'd be like, hey, what's going on? You know, hey, do you live around here? You know, the kind of stuff I never really had like, the guts to do. I, I just, I want to do that. I want to just talk to anyone. I know those conversations are not always going to go well. I, I no longer care. I no longer fear that things not going well. Like a conversation just kind of flat lines and you're like, well, all right, I'm, I'm going to move on now. Don't care. I welcome that. I welcome that because I know some of them will work out. Ah, ah, this, this coronavirus quarantine thing cannot be over too soon. Ah, ah, I think the solution to that is I need to get a job. I think that's the simplest answer to that question, which I, uh, I still am not working. I'm starting to feel like maybe it's time. About four years ago, when I left Southern California, I left the job I had there early March, and I didn't get a job again until September. And I didn't really start looking. Like I just kind of purposefully took time off um, and didn't really start looking actively until about mid-June, I think. And it's mid-June now, so I left my job about the same exact time of the year, like uh, early March. And now it's mid-June. So I'm feeling like, okay, now it's time for me to to start looking and to uh, take the whole interviewing process seriously. Thing is, I'm ready to be working again. I want to have a job and I want to like have something to fill my days that isn't just sitting around watching, you know, YouTube videos or reading or going out for walks. Uh, I want I want there to be something uh, to occupy me. Uh, I just don't want to go through the whole process of finding a job. Like I honestly, I watch movies in which there's somebody just going into it. They they walk into an office. They're either in a waiting room and then they go in to talk to some people. There's some back and forth for maybe half an hour, an hour. And then they're like, well, you know, you seem you seem like you're pretty qualified. You're exactly what we're looking for. We're going to hire you. I would love that to be the process. That would be great. The first job I ever had, the first job I got as an accountant, I remember going in and it was an hour of interview, just kind of the person who would be my boss talking to me. And he just asked me some questions, very basic questions, you know, like, do you know your stuff? You know, uh, what are you willing to do? Uh, what kind of work environment, like, like just basic stuff, like assessing my personality, assessing my knowledge. I knew enough to get the job. Like I was definitely qualified and that was it. An hour, an hour conversation. And I think I got a job offer the next day. Uh, that was absolutely wonderful. I wish it were like that. I, I wish I could just do that. I wish it was just, I send out some resumes, go do some interviews, get some offers. And then I, I pick one of them. Pick the one that I, I think would be the, the best fit for me, and then that that would be the, that would be it. Um, I'm kind of thinking that. Like I've been I've been talking for the last three months, and if you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard me say it that I feel kind of disillusioned with tech in general. I'm not so sure I'm disillusioned with with tech. I'm not sure I'm disillusioned with the idea of being an engineer 
in San Francisco so much as I am disillusioned with the whole interview process. The fact that it's like, so the last job I had, when I went to interview at 23andMe, it was like there was a phone screen. And then I, I think there might have been a second phone screen. Maybe not. I'm trying to, trying to remember. Anyway, but then there were two on-site interviews, which were four or five hours apiece. So two separate days a week apart, I had to go in and six or seven people interviewed me each day. Had me like writing code on a whiteboard, just answering questions, uh, writing SQL queries, just testing my knowledge top to bottom. How much do I know? Uh, and that, that was like what it was for every single job that I interviewed for. It, it was like, it had to be like, a, if you get in, if you get past the phone screen, then it was like you come on site and you do it all day, uh, interview process. I think I'm disillusioned with that. I really want to have a job. And I know that I'm qualified for many of the jobs that are out there. Um, but I, 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 I don't like this process. I don't like this coming on and getting grilled by like half of the company. Like they all have to know like what you're, I, I know why they do it. I know it's because they need to assess your personality. And I think that's completely fair. I've been on the other side of it and I can appreciate you want to know who you're going to be working with. Who are you bringing on board? Because people are just, I don't know, people are unknown quantities. But I don't know. I feel like, I feel like you could, you could get that from, that's the thing. I feel like you can get that from one hour. My first job, it was an hour. An hour, and I know that the person interviewing me was assessing my personality. Are they a good cultural fit? And I think they could make that determination just from the one hour. That was enough. I don't know, what is it about tech? If you're interviewing with engineers, can none of them assess your personality well enough? They, they need to like kind of do the wisdom of the crowds thing. Like engineers are not that good at assessing people, so we have to have like a dozen of them talk to one person and all give their perspective on this one person. And we, we kind of figure out collectively if they're a good fit or not. Is that really necessary? Do you have to do that? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the first or only person to complain about this. This is a common thing you hear. Um, you have to interview with about algorithms and data structures, like basic computer science stuff, which is stuff that nobody ever uses on there in their day-to-day -day job, not even at Google. You're, you're usually not implementing those things. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm ready to be working again. I'm, re I'm ready to just have a job. I'm ready to just have a work computer. I wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, set up a home office and I'll just sit there and like learn how to learn a new code base, you know, on my own. Uh, with talking with my teammates over Slack and Hangouts. and I don't know. That's the other part of it, too. I, I, the interview process is one thing. The fact that I have to go through a bunch of, like, I don't know, I guess entirely online, Zoom, Skype, whatever people are using, Hangouts, whatever they're using for interviewing, you're going to do the interviews online. You're going to meet everyone online. They're going to meet you online. They're going to have to size you up that way, and you have to size them up that way. And then that, that's going to be how the job starts. 
it, I don't know when they open up uh, the city again. I think tomorrow, tomorrow is June 15th. And the mayor has said like, things are going to open up on a limited basis starting tomorrow. Some things will be open. Um, I don't know if that means that if you, if you have a tech company that you can, uh, uh, you're all going to go into the office and start working together again. I doubt that is going to happen tomorrow. And I don't know when that's going to happen. But that's the other part of it is the thought that once I'm actually at a company, it's, it's not just you jump right back into where I was. It's not just that the company I just left, I was fluent in the code base. I was fluent in, in how things were put together generally. Like if somebody had a question and they didn't know the answer, there's a good chance that I knew the answer. Uh, or if I needed to know something, I, I generally would know the direction in which to go to find the person who would be able to give me the answer. It's not going to be like that. I'm going to be like just a guy online looking at some code base or being asked to write some code. And I'm not really going to have a sense of who I'm working with like directly, there's going to be no embodiment. I'm not going to be in an office seeing the people that I'm working with. Uh, that just feels, God, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to spend this whole time complaining about the whole job thing. All this to say is that I think I'm, I'm ready to not be uh, just sitting at home on the computer all day. Unfortunately, I think if I get a job, it's, it's going to be sitting at home on the computer all day but just getting paid to do so, which is, uh, I don't know, critical. Let's see, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but the walks have been great. I, I, I went for a walk yesterday, yeah, Palace of Fine Arts, and I walked up to the Lion Street steps, which are just up the road, up the hill. Uh, beautiful, you get to the top of the Lion Street steps and you look down them and you're just looking, you're looking out at the North Bay, you're looking across, um, I guess the Marina District and the water beyond it. And you can see Marin County uh, off in the distance. Um, just gorgeous, gorgeous views, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I remember I took a photo from up there and I was looking at it later and I was like, you know, that's the thing. Like I, I'm from the Midwest, I, I, I forget so often that where I grew up was just flat. You, you just, you go outside and there's nothing. There's, you can just see some buildings, maybe big, well-designed buildings. If you're really lucky, but that's generally not the case. There's no like nature that is just in view uh, on any kind of scale. Here, I don't have to walk that far and I can just see mountains. You know, I walk like three blocks. I can see across the San Francisco Bay to like Berkeley, Oakland, that whole area. And there's mountains over there. At night, there's just, it's just hills covered with lights that people are living up there. It's beautiful. It's just, it's green and, oh, it's, ah, it's so gorgeous. I'm not used to that. That is so weird because where I grew up, it was just concrete, just flat concrete as far as you could, ah, oh. oh, it's so wonderful so wonderful it is eerie though it, it's weird being out in san francisco on a on a saturday night and it's basically just a ghost town everybody's just at home uh doing what they do whatever they're doing just watching movies 
Uh, yeah. I did some volunteering with the uh, city of San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Parks and Rec, I think it was, or Recreation and Parks. It's the opposite of the TV show, for whatever reason. And they basically had us picking up trash. Like they gave us these gripper things you can squeeze and it, it, it puts these two rubber suction cups, clamps them together. So you can pick up, you can pick up quite a bit. It actually gives you a lot of agility uh, as far as what you can grasp and pick up and then stuff into a bag. Uh, so I got one of those hooks, um, one of these gripper things. Uh, like I ordered one the next day. Uh, cause I was like, there's, there's generally my, my, the city block that I live on is generally very dirty. Like if you go out on any given day, there's generally trash blowing around. Um, so I've gone out a couple of times, um, and just walked around the block a couple of times, circled it and just picked up all the trash that I can, you know, stuff it in bags. Um, if they're big pieces, then I just pick them up and take them to the trash can. Just try and get every piece of garbage you can find. Just get everything. Um, I find that very, very satisfying. I wish I could do that for a living. You know, something like something like you clean up garbage or you you cut grass or like you build something, like you build a house that somebody's gonna live in, like Habitat for Humanity. That sounds great. I love that sort of physical I love the physicality of that sort of work. You know, it's not just sitting at a keyboard just, ah, I don't just writing code. It's depressing. I could say more about this later. I just watched a minority report, the old Tom Cruise movie about uh, pre-crime where they can, they can prevent murders from happening uh, before they occur because they have a, a psychic, uh, like these three psychics in a pool of water, just sort of letting them know when crimes are going to occur so they can, they can cut them off before they happen. Um, I remember, I remember this, seeing this like 20 years ago and I was really, really impressed with the way computers were in that movie. So like Tom Cruise is, is, he has these gloves on and like the first three fingers, the thumb and the first forefinger and middle finger have these lights on them. Like, how, and he's basically controlling a screen in front of him, like images on a screen, like the media, the video that he's using to see the crime being committed. He's He's swapping those images in and out with his hands. You know, he uses gestures and he's controlling, he's controlling what's on this, this massive screen, this massive clear screen in front of him just by using these gestures with these two hands, these swipes and, um, very, very interesting stuff. It's like, this is long before we had iPads or iPhones. So it, um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any technology that was anything like that at that, 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 that time. It seems like that sort of anticipated the whole swiping uh, touchscreen uh, idea by uh, five or six years, I think. Minority Report was 2001, 2002. Anyway, that, that's what I'd like to do. I, I'd like to have that. Like, I, I really don't like this whole... The way you interact with a computer, the way you put code into the computer so you can run it is to, you have this QWERTY keyboard and this mouse you drag around and click and then there's like just a little screen you're looking at. It's backlit. 
that feels so medieval at this point. I like that is so old. The 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 QWERTY keyboard that using that as an input device is how old is that now? That's over fifty years old at this point. Like typewriters used to be that way. Like it's basically like you you just have a typewriter that instead of paper you have this more complicated thing that allows for uh, richer organization of whatever it is you're you're trying to put the text into. Um, you could open up a word processor that's basically like the I don't know the digital equivalent of a a typewriter. And the mouse the mouse was invented I think close to fifty years ago was it nineteen seventy nineteen eighty? It's old at this point. It's it's really odd how the technology has not changed hardly at all. Like what we're doing fundamentally hasn't changed in the slightest. You know, uh, the the style of the keyboards has changed. Like the the Mac keyboard I have is uh, this kind of flat, very quiet uh, keyboard. Just this you know flat silver and white thing. Very nice, very elegant. I've been using something like that for close to ten years now, and mouse is just. Yeah, it's just this slick thing. Uh, the whole thing is just one big button. And uh, yeah, the surface of the mouse itself, you can you can slide your finger on and that's how you scroll. Uh, so it's, it's, it's fundamentally the same idea, it's the same concepts. There's nothing really revolutionary about it except the design as, as far as how they accept the gestures and, and uh, how they look and sound. But nothing new. There, there is no minority report, uh, kind of stuff. I really would like to code like that. I want to have like a, a big screen that I'm standing in front of, that's clear, and me putting, me, I don't know, inputting code is more than just, uh, I don't know, sitting there. I guess you, I guess if you're doing code, you'd need to use a QWERTY keyboard. But there's so many other things. Like the way you access files, the way you scroll around through the file system, the way you kind of scroll up and down, like these things could be changed so much. Like I've, I've started to feel like the technology's in my way. Like it feels like there are thoughts going through my head. There are things that I want to do and I can't do them as quickly as I want to because the technology's in my way. I have to... I have to use these old things, this, this QWERTY keyboard and this mouse to, to navigate through and do this stuff. It, it's not, it's not expressive. It's the same reason that I like, I like doing this. I like just talking out loud into a voice memo instead of having to like compose my thoughts, um, in a blog form. Like here it's just free form. Whatever comes to my head, I just say it. You're hearing it. Boom, it's as easy as that. If, if I want to blog, I have to like open this thing up. I have to organize it. I have to like make sure that the, the formatting is okay to express what I want to express. Uh, there have to be like line breaks in the right places. All this stuff. Like I have to worry about things that basically inhibit the flow of thoughts. I don't like that. When, when, when the technology is hindering your expression, uh, then it becomes a, more of a barrier. It doesn't feel as empowering. It just feels constraining. And the technology I'm using to write code has started to feel like that recently. Like the, the QWERTY keyboard, the mouse, the paradigms we know for, for using a computer, they were very, very revolutionary 40 or 50 years ago. They're not revolutionary for 2020. Not at all. Um, so I'm, I'm, 
I don't know. The thing is, I, I'm pretty sure that there are people who have designed very, very, somebody's probably designed the minority report way of interfacing with a computer system. But I'm sure that it's prohibitively expensive and it would require uh, people to adopt new ways of thinking or learning that they're not really willing to take on. Like, I think it's probably more the, the paradigm of okay, people are comfortable with this, people know this, and once something is entrenched like that, it is very, very difficult to unseat it. So revolutions in technology are not necessarily easy. This actually brings me around to another point that I wanted to talk about. Um, I have been thinking about my job, like the job that I just left. Um, and I, I think I, I've talked about this. I, I ended up there because I was kind of feeling idealistic four years ago. And I was thinking, okay, I, I can code and it seems like I'm, I'm going to have my options. Like I, I can have, I have some choices. I have some flexibility as far as where I go. Um, I was definitely getting lots of interest. People were saying, yes, we want to hire you. Like I was getting lots of offers where I was interviewing and I wasn't going after really, really good jobs. I was just going after jobs that I knew I could get. There would be no problem with it. And the thing is, it, it, it seems like I got enough job offers. I came to realize that like, okay, you should be shooting a little bit higher. You shouldn't be just shooting for what you should, what you think you can get. You shouldn't be shooting below you know, what you think you can get just because you have to get something, take your time, reject offers that you don't think are meet your standards and shoot high. You know, if you don't get any of those things then you can fall back on just taking something because it's something, you know. So that did sort of make me reflect on my value system. And I thought, okay, if I can use code to do anything, my skills as a coder, what would I choose to do if I could contribute to anything? My decision was, let's, uh, let's contribute to scientific research. I'm not a scientist, but uh, I was like, I think I have enough basic scientific literacy. I I'm, I'm converse with people who are scientists. Uh, so this all seems good. Let's, let's go that route. Let's try and do this. Um, and I remember thinking, yeah, okay, this is, this is great. Um, uh, but hold on, I'm getting some, getting some, uh, hot water with lemon here, lemon and honey. My throat is starting to seize up a little bit. Um, yeah, something's up with my throat. I don't know what it is. Um. Had a little bit of trouble swallowing the last few days. There we go. Yeah, lump in my throat. Time to time to get some of this going. Anyway, but I thought scientific research and uh, the company that I ended up working for, which I, I guess I mentioned it earlier, it's one of those large genetic testing companies. And uh, it just seemed to me like that was a company with a concept, they've been around for how long? Like 10 years when I joined them? But yeah, they were 10 years old when I, when I came on board. Um, but I remember thinking like, this seems like an idea whose time has come. You know, like they haven't quite gotten traction with the mass market yet, but it seems like they're going to. 
because this is going to be the century of biology. It's going to be the century of understanding genetics, using genetics and other aspects of our, our DNA, maybe proteomics, uh, to solve health problems. It just seemed like the time was right for that. This would be this would be the century when that happens, and it's going to start happening in the next couple of decades. Now, I still think that's true. I think that's very, very true. This will be the century of biology, and it will revolutionize a lot of things. I think the issue is... The issue has more to do with the the general scientific literacy that you find in the public. And I think I overestimated how, how much that would change uh, in the future, like in the next couple of years. Like I assumed that there was going to be a sea change in human, the way people look at things like genetic tests. I think that was the mistake um, because it all seemed very new and fresh. It's like, oh, this is an idea that seems like it's time has come. It, it's it's very, very new. It just has to like catch on. It has to catch mind share. Once people come to understand it, and they will come to understand it because who couldn't appreciate knowing what's in your own DNA? Once they come to understand it, then the product will have value and it will take off. Uh, I don't think that happened, and I, I'm not convinced that that is ever going to happen. So it, it, it seems to me that genetic tests are, of course, going to be, be increasingly important over the next couple of decades uh, for many, many reasons. I, I think there will be tremendous growth in that area, but I don't think mass consumer market is the place where it happens, at least not from a health perspective. Well, the company I work for had two arms. Uh, one of it was genealogy. That's the ancestry part. You know, tell me, tell me your ancestry composition. The other part of it, which was the team that I was on, uh, was health reports. So what diseases are you at risk for? What are you a potential carrier of? Um, what's the probability you have this or that trait? Um, now genealogy is big business as it is. Like, uh, what is, what is the website? The massive genealogy website. Is it genealogy.com? Something? Anyway, as far as like internet traffic, you, if you look at the top websites that get the most traffic, um, Facebook is up there, Google's up there, Amazon's up there. But up on the list is one that you wouldn't expect to be there, and it's a genealogy website. I, I remember looking at this maybe five years ago, six years ago, being very, very surprised. Genealogy is massive. It is massive business. A lot of attention is being paid there for lots of reasons. It's a personal curiosity for people. Um, the Mormons are interested in it because they want to try and save their ancestors uh, by praying for them because they didn't convert to the right form of Mormonism in time, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of retroactively saving souls. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons it's a very popular thing in the world. Uh, but you don't really have to understand genetics. You don't have to have an appreciation for genetics. You don't have to understand very much to intuit those concepts. If you look at a pie chart and it says, well, you are 30% English and 20% Irish and et cetera, et cetera, that, that's easy enough for people to look at and they understand. They get it. Um, and it's immediately interesting to, to anyone, even if you don't have basic scientific literacy. Uh, even if you don't have numeric literacy, it still kind of makes sense. 
you know, I'm, I'm about this much Irish, about this much British, and so on and so on. Um, I think on the health side, it is much more difficult to communicate those things well for a variety of reasons. Uh, okay, I can draw, I can draw a parallel. I think H.G. Wells about 100 years ago said something to the effect of pretty soon knowing statistics is going to be as critical to being a citizen as being literate. Namely, if you want to be an informed person uh, in a world that is increasingly scientific and science is basically a field that depends on um, statistics, frequentist statistics and uh, repeated trials of things, if you want to make sense of the world that way, you have to know statistics. In, in order to be an informed citizen who can vote, in order to understand what is going on in the world, you're going to have to be able to think probabilistically and interpret statistics as they're presented to you. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that uh, in order to really understand a lot of what is going on in the world, you have to be able to think that way and you have to understand those concepts. Just because that is now necessary, and it's just because it has become more necessary and it's becoming increasingly necessary does not mean that the general population is now more uh, informed or educated about statistics. We don't have more statisticians among us. I, I, maybe we have a few more, but it's not as though that this, this way of thinking, this paradigm of thinking statistically or probabilistically has captured the mindshare of the mass of the population. You just have people trying to dumb down facts so that the masses can understand them in a way that isn't probabilistic or statistical. So technology changed. The world has in some ways changed, but people have not. And I think that's the problem. I've done a lot of reading about philosophy, philosophy of science, the history of science, but where, where human beings have actually been in their, um, their understanding of knowledge, their understanding of epistemology. I mean, not, not those concepts itself, but how does a person understand the world? How, do, how does the average lay person regard the world? And, 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 and where has science been? Science as we know it is actually a few hundred years old. The notion of the scientific method is 400 years old now. I think Francis Bacon in 1620, which is 400 years ago now, uh, outlined what we now call the scientific method, a way of studying things in order to understand cause and effect and be able to make predictions in the future. That's an old idea. Maybe it hasn't been practiced as widely as, as it, back then it wasn't, it was just a new idea. It was something that just a philosopher was writing in some you know, obscure philosophical work. Uh, but it's not as though this has led to um, increased scientific literacy among the general population. I think a higher proportion of people understand uh, science and the scientific method now than they did two, three hundred years ago. A higher proportion, but I wouldn't say it's the majority. It's probably not even close to the majority. I don't know how many it would be, but I think there's still very large pockets of people who know nothing about science and don't know how to read things that are scientific and interpret them properly. And some of that's statistics, but some of it's more just understanding um, understanding basic scientific concepts. If you're going to take one of those genetic tests, 
Um, and it's going to tell you, you, you based on your DNA, based on this, this, and this, like these, this series of nucleotide bases uh, means you have a higher risk of this disease. I, I don't think that is, I don't think people understand DNA intuitively. Maybe they learned about it in school, but they don't have the, the grounding in the knowledge uh, to really understand what's going on. They don't understand molecular biology. Uh, they don't understand genetics. They don't understand epigenetics. They don't understand genomics. Um, these are things that five, four or five years ago, shortly before I joined the company, um, I was studying actively myself. And because I was studying it actively, because I was bringing myself up to speed on them and because I thought they were so cool and fascinating, I assumed that, yeah, this is where the world's headed. This People are interested in this. People are going to become increasingly knowledgeable about these areas of science uh, because it's so fascinating. Not true. Science is actually, in terms of the history of humankind, it's actually very, very young. But in terms of, in terms of like expecting people to change, it is actually kind of old. One, 200 years of science and still people generally on the average are not scientifically literate. I, I would I would guess. I don't have any numbers here. I'm kind of just throwing out um, guesses. I could only throw out guesses, but I do know that there's there's a significant portion of the population that uh, believes that there is science behind anti-vaxxing in some form. And that's just to, to name one example. There are, there are plenty of pseudo-scientific things that people seem to uh, gravitate towards. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's problematic because I, basically I was looking, I was looking at this whole genetic testing thing and saying, you know what? Things are going to change drastically in the next few years and that will, that will enable it to flourish. I don't think that ever happened and I'm not sure that it ever will happen. And I, I think that presents very, very difficult challenges. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I chose to leave the company when I did. A few months ago, I stepped down and, and left and decided it was time to move on to the next thing. There were lots of reasons for that. A lot of them were personal and subjective, and they just had to do with the environment that I was in and the people I was around. They were great people, but it was, it was time for me to move on. I had stagnated. But one of the objective reasons that I can certainly talk about openly is I became concerned that we had we had a health product. People could get themselves genetically tested. We could present them health results that would hopefully help them make more educated decisions about how to live their lives based on what is in their DNA. And what I learned close to the end is that a lot of people had no idea that we had a health product. People knew our company for ancestry. They didn't really know about the health side of things, which was kind of surprising. What I, I worked on the health team. People would find out, like I would be out in public and people would learn where I worked and then they would start talking to me about their ancestry. Like, oh, I learned this, I learned that. And I was, I thought that was interesting, but nobody ever said, oh yeah, I looked at the health side of things and I learned this and I thought it was really, really useful. It was always ancestry. It was always the genealogy side of things. Always. I never met anyone who talked to me about health. If I said I worked on the health team, they would just stare at me like, well, what do you mean? 
And I realized we haven't actually crossed that chasm yet. And I'm, I'm not sure that we, I'm not sure that the company ever figured out properly how to cross the chasm, um, how to really present the information as far as how does your genetics affect health in a way that you can understand that the average person would look at and say, okay, well, this is actionable and I comprehend it. Because the technology has grown by leaps and bounds as of late. It all feels very new because we just recently sequenced the human genome, like three years before the company started, 2003, we finally sequenced the human genome. We have a, a reference genome against which we can evaluate other uh, human genotypes or other human genomes. And, and that makes it seem like it's new. It makes it seem like there's something fresh there that's about to come of age. It's about to have its day in the sun. But that would require people to really understand it. And, and genetics itself, our understanding of DNA, the structure of DNA and how it works, uh, that's been building for decades. And I think people are more people know it now than did 50 years ago, but I don't think it's a lot of people. I think people just memorize what they have to for in grade school and to get a thing on the test. But I don't think people really have a, an understanding of how DNA works. Just the way I don't understand how, I, I don't have an understanding of how the law works. I don't have an understanding of how uh, general medicine works, like internal medicine. There's so much I don't know. It, it's it's kind of like saying here here's some medical results. You know, here's something a doctor would tell you. Like here, here's your cholesterol. Here's your blood panel or blood work, and here's all these numbers. Unless you have studied that carefully, unless you know what's behind all those numbers, it's very, very difficult to know what to make of those. Unless you have somebody sitting down telling you what is going on there, I think it's hard for the average person to, to make heads or tails of it. And so I, I think that's... I think I had a sense that, like, oh, you know, science is a new thing. Biology is a new thing. Genetics is a new thing. And the technology for sequencing DNA is a new thing. The last one, the technology for sequencing is a new thing. Having that be affordable to the point where you could actually market a mass consumer product to the public, that is very, very new. I think all the other things are old enough now that you look at them and say, yeah, you know, the general public just does not understand. I don't think they can make sense of it. I, th I think it's, I don't know, for me, it was the curse of knowledge. I looked at, uh, I looked at the, the genetic testing, I looked at the results, and I thought they were fascinating. I, I just thought they were cool because I geek out on that sort of thing. I don't think the average person feels that way. I don't know, it was kind of a bummer. It was a, it was a bummer to realize that. It was, a, it was sad to realize that, yeah, it's, it's a really, really good idea, and it has a lot of potential for changing people's lives, but I don't think people are up for it. I don't think, I don't think people have the time to devote to that, to understanding that sort of thing, and that's completely fair. I think that's very, very fair. I think, that, I think it would be difficult for your average person to do that. I mean, think of the people I went to high school with. I could take a sampling of them. They're, they're now working jobs, sometimes in offices or for the government, you know, 
police, EMTs, firefighters, they're doing different things. They don't have any idea how genetics works. They, they, don't, they don't care. They're not going to try to figure that out. They don't want to spend the time to figure that out. They want to, if they're going to buy a genetic test, they want to be able to distill the information as quickly and easily as possible without having to parse a lot of scientific details in order to make sense of what it is they're reading. So it's the mass consumer part that I think was problematic. I realized, yeah, this is a hard problem. I don't know how to solve it. I don't know if we know fully how to solve it. Um, so I, I realized that it's, it's, if I move forward and I decide to use my programming skills to serve science, in particular biology or genetics again, it's probably not going to be consumer facing. Uh, be a research lab somewhere, something B2B. Um, but yeah, the, the mass public, I don't think, has the ability to really grasp what's going on there. Um, so unfortunate. So unfortunate. But uh, anyway, I, that's what I realized. I realized it's, yeah, yeah. Technology changes, people do not. I think you have to take that into account. And you can't assume that people are excited about technology changing. I've come to appreciate that too. Like four years ago, I was also in the place where I was like new technology, things are changing constantly. You have to keep learning things, new, new things all the time because the technology is always changing. Great, I'm a technologist, I'm, I'm a software engineer. I get off on that sort of thing. Yes, let's keep let's keep moving forward. I've come to the point now where I kind of I don't like the fact that people just keep reinventing the wheel because they can. Let's just make a new JavaScript framework. Um, that's an alternative to React because we can because it's uh, there's a lot of those things going on. They're basically solving the same problems different ways and it seems to be i don't know it, it it's not necessarily because you want to create an easier way of doing things so much as you just want to build something that's what engineers do and if you're an engineer you may not necessarily go out and build something that non-engineers can use you may build something that the intended audience is engineers so build an alternative to the react javascript framework for example uh let's just Let's just build a new one. It, it, it solves the same problems just in a different way. This has been going on, especially, especially in the JavaScript world, uh, as long as I've been a developer. It just seems like we keep reinventing things. Um, interestingly enough, the, the paradigm hasn't shifted uh, in JavaScript, really. I kind, of, I kind of pulled my head out of the sand and looked at things in hindsight, and I remember in 2010, people were using jQuery. I think at the time, people were using a framework called Backbone uh, in order to make JavaScript-based websites, in order to make sites interactive. Um, if you're not an engineer, don't worry so much about this. Uh, but then like, what, three, four years later, I remember there was a bunch of JavaScript frameworks that came out, like React, Angular, 
what are some of the other ones that came out? Um, those were the two big ones. There were a couple others that Meteor was one. What else? Anyways, like 2010, suddenly 2013, 2014, new things are coming out. There are new major players that are coming out and being established and, and are evolving. And they basically replace the use of jQuery and Backbone and whatever else came before. You know, there was other, there was other jQuery-like frameworks like Dojo and MooTools and stuff. Like those all kind of fell by the wayside. jQuery is still being used places, but, um, and now it's 2020. We're six years away from that. We're like one and a half times as many years away from the jQuery backbone paradigm. And really, React, Angular, the major players are still there. They haven't been dethroned, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be dethroned anytime soon. It seems like they, we've finally reached an equilibrium where everybody's comfortable using these few things. They're good enough, and engineers are releasing new frameworks just because they can, but they're not gaining any traction. It's kind of like for a while there were social networks. Like there was Friendster and there was like Google Orchid and Google Plus and uh, what, MySpace, all these things. Now, I mean, basically there is Facebook. And Facebook's been around for over 15 years now. And it doesn't seem like there's any going to be any new entrant that's going to come along and displace that. So things things are not really evolving. And I, I don't know if that's just because there hasn't been, I don't know, people keep making up new ideas, but I guess they don't get traction because part of it is entrenchment, the difficulty of switching. Like you, you have to have a very, very good reason. If you have a, a website that is currently running in React or Angular and you want to, I don't know, use something different, something new, something shiny, it's really a lot of work to, uh, supplant what you have and create something new. As a matter of fact, that's a very, very bad idea. The big rewrite. Uh, things you should never do. Part one. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and if you're doing something new, really it's in your best interest to just use what everybody else is using because you'll have an easier time finding people that can work on that stuff. Um, and really, there's, there's not really any good reason to, to switch unless you have some, unless you have some really, really, really pressing reason, unless React doesn't do something you need it to do. Um, something very, very specific. Uh, oh, it tastes good. Mm. Clover, honey. I'm going to try some different kinds of honey. I've, uh, I only recently learned this. Apparently the honey that people, uh, have eat, the honey that I've been eating my entire life has been clover honey. I never noticed that. I noticed the bunnies, the bottles always say clover honey. I didn't realize a clover is a kind of flower and it's a different honey tastes different based on what kind of flower it comes from. Uh, there's orange blossom honey in the grocery store in the building where I live. Uh, that's, I've tried that once, tastes kind of orangey, um, but I haven't really gotten my honey, I haven't geeked out on different kinds of honey fully yet, as much as I would like to. Ah, 
so yeah, things seem things seem stable. But uh, yeah, I mean, people don't necessarily welcome new things. Even people who are really, really, that's the thing. Engineers are people who are constantly going out, trying new tools, trying new things, just because they can. Like, let's try some alternative. Let's not use React or Angular. Let's try this other new thing that somebody just rolled, you know, a few months ago, which seems to have some interesting paradigms. They try it out, but they still don't have a compelling enough reason to bring it into uh, the professional environment. And if, if engineers, people who love playing with new things, are not doing that, then the average person is definitely not seeking out uh, new things. And I'm not talking about technology here. I'm talking about new ways of thinking about things, new scientific paradigms. The fact that we now have epigenetics um, that tells us that, in fact, Lamarck actually had something like, yes, acquired traits in some cases will be passed on. That idea has come back in vogue. I would guess that the majority of people in this country, even the ones that understand genetics, kind of from high school, maybe from college, don't know that. And it's really too much to ask somebody to um, spend their time uh, figuring that out. And again, that's understandable. You know, uh, I, my best friend from high school is in law enforcement. He knows all about guns. He knows all about weapons. He knows about military grade stuff that he uses for like crowd control. Ooh, yeah, that's another hot button topic right now. We'll circle back to that. I don't know anything about that. You know, I, I was talking to him uh, at Christmas time, like six months ago, we had uh, lunch and I was, it's been 10 years since I really talked to him. Um, and he's telling me about this stuff with his, with his work. You know, he's a police officer, the department he's at. Um, he's, he's involved in something that has nothing to do with work, but they get to play around with some cool toys. By that, I mean weapons. Um, I think it's for like, what was it, crowd control? It's like, it's not the squat team that he's on, or SWAT team, squat team. Not the SWAT team. Um, something like that, though. Anyway, he's talking about all these weapons. I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, does that mean I'm in dereliction of duty? No. It just means I, I don't focus my energy on learning those things. There's no reason for me to. Just as there's no reason for the average citizen to really understand uh, what's going on in their DNA. And I mean, I think it is slightly different. I think if you are a citizen and you do care, if you're an average person and you care about your health, I think you understand the principles of exercise, the principle of, principles of nutrition, and the basic principles of biology that would affect your health. Those three things I think everyone should be taught very, very well in grade school. I really think those should be beefed up. I don't understand why. I had to take four years, not four semesters, four years, of English in high school. And ostensibly this was, you know, that basically means the entire time I was in high school, that entire time I was in an English class. Every single semester, I had to be in some sort of English class. It was a constant. I don't know if there was anything else that was like that. Maybe math? 
I don't even think math was required. I think I happened to take four years of math, but that wasn't even mandatory. I had to take four years of English. And that, that was learning how to write. I certainly wasn't spending four years learning the rules of grammar. I was spending four years, most of those four years were just like reading books and talking about them, talking about how writers write, the different tools that they use in order to compose, like the use of foreshadowing, for example. Nobody needs to know that unless you're going to be a writer. That's a very specialized thing. Yes, learn how to write, learn the rules of grammar, practice writing, make sure you do some reading. I could probably go on about that, like English classes structured improperly, but really that's not going to be of use to everyone. Like the kind of English stuff we like, you have to read, what did I have to read? Like Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club. Very good book, I'm sure. But if, if, if it's a question of, I have a son or a daughter in grade school and they have to read The Joy Luck Club or a book that teaches them about how they can exercise or what they should be eating to improve their health, to stay healthy. I'm gonna reject the Joy Luck Club every single time. There's no reason for people to focus on that. There's no reason to put all time, a bunch of time and energy into learning that sort of thing. Um, I don't care. I read the Joy Luck Club. I read Their Eyes Are Watching God. I read The Count of Monte Cristo. I read Dante's Inferno, Waiting for Godot. Lots of things. I don't remember any of these. Well, yeah, I probably just internalized a lot of what I read. Like, I wouldn't be able to consciously remember it. It's probably just part of my instincts now. But I mean, still, I, I don't think it's that important. I really don't. I don't think it's as important as understanding basic medical knowledge about your health, eating healthy, and exercising healthy. I guess this would be a failure of physical education. It would be a failure of gym class. Gym class was like, here, we're going to get you all together, divide you up into two teams, and you're going to play a sport with each other for about an hour with some loose adult supervision. Okay. How is that helping me? I can see that it is helping me, but how is that helping me more than understanding how to exercise, than understanding how how you get in shape, how you maintain your muscles, how you build them, how to properly do cardio. These are things that all just fall by the wayside. You're either learning these as extracurriculars or you're not. And I think that's, I think that's a massive, massive problem. I would, that's one thing I would reform about education. I know everybody has their opinion about education and uh, yeah, it's not that easy because we have a whole country full of people who are uh, trained as English teachers. We can't just overnight, you know, um, start teaching English differently or teach less English and suddenly introduce um, programs about, uh, but yeah, one's health, exercise, nutrition is just one thing. There's also how do you manage your finances? I did not learn anything about finance, how to manage money, accounting, business, I learned none of that in high school. I didn't learn that till college, and I only learned it because I elected to major in those in in that subject. I think there were business classes I could have taken in high school as electives, as electives. 
I could have taken an elective class to learn how to manage my finances, my personal finances properly. That was not mandatory. I was learning matrix math. I was learning how to, um, yeah, do all kinds of things that uh, only specialized people would have to do in certain professions. I had not general interest, not general interest, not general purpose knowledge. But anyway, I've harped on enough about that. My point is made. You take my meaning. Yeah, so it's been when was the last time I haven't I haven't done this podcast since May. Last one I did was May fourteenth. So ten days after that, like roughly May twenty fifth, I want to say there was a um, there was an incident in Minneapolis. Um, a man by the name of George Floyd was killed by a police officer. And I don't actually know the whole story here. I think there's a lot of background. I have not been following it super closely. Um, I've been following it more than I have any other, you know, cop kills, you know, white cop kills a black person. There's been a lot of those cases over the last uh, five, ten years. A lot of them. And I haven't been paying attention to them, really. I know that they are happening, but it's one of those things where I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not really in a community where law enforcement seems to be abusing its power. If I were, I'm not really sure what I, as just some engineer who's working in private industry, could really do to affect this. Like, what I can do is vote. Maybe vote for one sheriff instead of the other if it seems like one of them is supportive of reform where it would count. But beyond that, it's not something I can really control. So it's something I have not been paying attention to. Right now, the world is in such a state that people really don't have any choice but to pay attention to what is going on in the news, regardless of what it might be. A lot of that's COVID stuff. A lot of that's coronavirus and quarantine. And let's uh, figure out how to be safe. And let's listen to what the CDC is saying and the World Health Organization. And when do things open back up? Everybody's paying attention now. And there happens to be a very, very egregious killing of a black citizen by a white cop, um, which is just unnecessary. It didn't have to happen. Like it, I, I saw the video of the cop kneeling on the guy's throat, and the guy is pleading, like, I cannot breathe. Please let me up. And the guy is just kind of sitting there with his knee on his neck. His hands are in his pockets, just casually, like, no, no, I'm on. I'm subjugating you here. And he ends up suffocating the guy to death. And so this has um, this has become a thing. This has become a massive, massive issue. There have been large protests um, going on around the country. There has been massive um, unrest that has been happening. Um, protests happen in... Uh, San Francisco. I talked to one of my friends who said that he actually went down and marched um, in the protest. Um, yeah, uh, to protest um, unnecessary violence. 
um, by white cops against minorities. And I, again, this is not something I'm super well informed about, not just this particular case, but the issues around it. I mean, it um, seems to be there are two sides to this story. There, there is the police officer side and not this particular story. I don't mean George Floyd versus the guy who killed him. I mean, police departments throughout the country, all policemen and the communities of color communities and minorities that they police. There's a very, very large issue here, and then the constituents of that are not something I've managed to parse through yet and understand fully. Um, it seems that, what was it, about four or five years ago, James Comey, who was still, um, still employed by the federal government at the time, uh, Trump hadn't fired him yet, came out and said that the homicide statistics in cities were going the wrong way. Like crime was on the rise. And it's not clear what, what is really going on. It's not clear like what happened, but there were definitely more violent crimes happening. And those were coming from, uh, well, it's a chicken and the egg thing. The thing is cops feel threatened by minorities because they commit crimes. So the police officers treat minorities unfairly. They disproportionately target the minorities, like black people, um, Latino people. And so then the minorities develop sort of an unease at the sight of the cops because they're being disproportionately targeted. And so there's just this tension, and I don't know where it starts. Um, I don't know what the original cause is. I don't know who th throws the first stone in this situation, but th the situation between cops, all cops, and the communities that they police, or, or the minorities in the communities that they police, this tension has been escalating for some time. Comey pointed this out, saying that there's something going on here. We have to, we have to get to the bottom of it. We have to fix it. We can't fix it overnight, but we need to get to the bottom of what the root cause is, and we need to very, very carefully reform things. And this was four or five years ago. Uh, not much has happened. There's been, the tension seemed to have escalated, more people have died. Uh, and now George Floyd seems to be the thing that boils the pot over. Um, people are just sort of sitting around. There's sort of some pent up uh, energy from sheltering in place. Um, people are paying attention in record numbers. And people came out to protest in record numbers. I, I saw footage in Los Angeles, uh, video footage of people marching, like something like 50,000 people pour onto the streets of Los Angeles uh, to march in protest of unnecessary police brutality against minorities. That is massive. I, I don't, I can't think of seeing anything like that. Maybe I have a dream speech in DC when people just poured into uh, the area around the, the Washington Monument um, to watch Do Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak. And this is that it's Los Angeles alone. There have been, there have been protests being held everywhere. Um, things are really, really crazy right now. Um, I think, I, I think this was going on the last time, like a month ago, over a month ago. There was definitely protests around this shelter in place itself. There was unrest. There were people coming out saying it doesn't, 
doesn't seem fair that like so many people should be unemployed uh, just because a few people might die. Those protests were going on, I think, late April, early May. It's been happening for a while. But yeah, that's still going on. There's the George Floyd thing. It seems people are just sort of generally discontent with the um, with what's happening in government. Uh, Biden won the uh, nomination to be the Democratic candidate this year, and I've people people don't like Biden. Um, I'm not really sure that I, I care much for Biden. I certainly am going to vote for Biden instead of Trump. I would vote for anyone other than Trump, just about. There's very few people that I would vote for Trump. Um, There's very few Democratic candidates that would force me to vote for Trump. Um, As a matter of fact, if if it came down to that, if there was somebody in the Democratic uh, ticket that I really didn't like, and I actually preferred Trump to them, I just might abstain from voting at that point. but I probably will vote for Biden. But people, I have seen arguments between Democrats, like Democrats against Democrats, fighting with each other about whether or not Biden is the right candidate. And this is still this is still going on. Um, just concerning to me. It makes sense that it was happening before the primaries, when Biden wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion. Where it's still, it could be Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren, like there were other alternatives. People people were arguing before it happened. Now that it's Biden, it seems like people are still arguing that Biden shouldn't be the candidate, which I don't I don't know what can really change about that at this point. Is it is it don't vote for Biden, vote instead for Trump? I I don't know. I mean, I understand the frustration, but I, I don't understand. I don't understand how the energy is being directed productively. I don't understand how that's a, a good use of um, of your reserves. Something I'm not seeing. But yeah, there's a lot going on right now. There's a, this is this is very very messed up. Anyway. I'm not really sure I'm going to publish this one, uh, but I just wanted to turn this on talk for a little while because I haven't done it. Um, I haven't been exercising either. I can't remember the last time. Like I've been going out and walking. I've gone out and actually jogged a couple of times uh, in the last week or so. But the whole sitting in my apartment with a yoga mat, doing high intensity training, doing yoga, I have not done that in, oh, it's been a month probably since around the time I last podcasted, actually. Um, I think that's starting to take its toll on me. I'm starting to feel kind of stressed. Um, kind of, I'm starting to feel kind of soft, soggy, feeling kind of lackadaisical. Uh, I need to get back into like getting my blood pressure up, uh, getting my heart pumping, getting those happy chemicals out. I need to start doing that like every day in some form or another. But it's... Uh, I. I, I'm 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 hesitant to start doing it again with any regularity because as soon as I start doing it once, twice, then it's an everyday thing, 
And it's really just easier to say, you know, I, I let the habit fall by the wayside. And if I don't start doing it again, then I just don't start doing it again. That's really, really easy. It's the same thing with podcasting. It's kind of like I've been putting off turning this thing on and recording it because as soon as I do, then I feel like I'm on the hook to keep doing it with some regularity and that's, that's pressure and yeah. I don't know. Gotta get back to reality. Gotta get back to reality. And I think it's the same thing with San Francisco. I've talked an awful lot about maybe it's time to leave the Bay Area. Maybe it's time to leave the city. I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think I'm disillusioned with living in San Francisco so much as I am disillusioned with the idea of having to find a job in San Francisco. And that it has to be I have to interview remotely and I have to work remotely. It's basically going to be just me working on my own, maybe coordinating with coworkers over a video chat program. That just sounds depressing. I don't want that to be. I don't want that to be my life. I, I, when I get a job, I want to go into an office and work with people. I want to get to know people. I want to see them face to face. I want to be able to look them in the eye and feel their presence when I'm talking to them. I want to. I want. To, I want to really want to get to know. I want to connect with people that way. I don't just want it to be I'm staring into a a little camera on top of my. Uh, on top of my laptop and you know oh yeah so to the extent that I've just sort of taken some time stopped complaining and really kind of parsed through what's going on in my head I think it's I'm very very put off by the, the notion of having to um I don't know re-engage with the world in only a digital way um yeah, same thing with people too. Like, there are former coworkers I'd like to connect with, but I, 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 I don't like the idea of just like, okay, I'm gonna send you an email. I was in the process of like emailing people and saying like, hey, let's get together. We just left our jobs, or hey, you know, you're still at your job, but I, I'll, I'll make an effort to come and see you, and we can hang out outside of work. Uh, that sounds, that sounds great. I can no longer avail myself of that. Um, yeah, I think I just need to grow the, the hell up and, uh, just accept that this is just the way things are. It's probably going to be the reality for the next year or so. And as nice it would be to uh, get back out and, uh, experience the world normally to get a job under normal circumstances. That's not the world I currently live in. I've started thinking recently, I really wish there was a round of layoffs at my company about a month before I left. Um, and I wish, I wish they had laid me off. I wish they had given me the ax because there would have been severance there. There would be unemployment. There would be extra unemployment because of the coronavirus situation. Now, like I, w I would have something coming in. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cover like a third of my rent. Uh, but it, it would be, it would be more than nothing. Um, 
Uh, yeah, but I think I am staying in San Francisco if, for no other reason than just being pragmatic. Um, I don't think now is the time to attempt to get rid of a bunch of things, to rent a truck, to pack a bunch of things up and to, you know, strike out, relocate, end up somewhere in a new city where I don't know anyone not familiar with the territory in the midst of this whole crisis. Um, I was giving that serious consideration uh, just because, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's the wrong time for that. I think the time, the time is right now. It is time to um, find stable employment and remain stably employed for the foreseeable future. And uh, to do that wherever you are, if you can, and I think that I can. So I think I, I remain here and I think I find a job and then that's the, that's what happens next. Yeah. I think that's the extent of it. Let's see what else. What else has been going on? I think, okay, so I, I think, I think I've mentioned this in the last podcast, but I did connect with, well, I connected with a few people on the dating apps. I got back on the dating apps and started, um, yeah, trying to connect with people for no other reason than just to, to have some people to chat with online in some format. Let's just, develop some friendships that might become something more during this whole pandemic situation. And there is one girl that I've been talking to substantially uh, more than any other. Like we've actually been texting outside of the apps. We've gotten together a few times uh, offline to hang out. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been going on for a month or so. Uh, it's not clear to me that there's like long-term potential there, but for the moment, uh, it's um, it's nice to have someone to talk to that I can mostly be myself around. I don't have to, uh, I don't really have to hide myself. I don't have to put on airs. Um, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. She uh, has done a lot of hiking up in the North Bay. In Marin County, there's a um, very large uh, park. Actually, it's where Muir Woods is. Muir Woods is one section of a larger area known as Mount Tamalpai. I think it's Mount Tamalpai, uh, shortened to Mount Tam. But it's a very large outdoor area. Um, that has a lot of hiking trails. If you look at a map of the trails throughout the area, it, it's very, very large. I think I could go up there once a day for the next month and hike a different trail. I'm not sure I would actually hit all of them. I'm not even sure I'd be able to hit all of them in uh, in that time frame. Um, anyway, yeah, she's done a lot of that. Uh, she just doesn't have a car. I have a car, so I've let, I'm letting her be my guide and saying, if you, uh, if you take me up there and show me around, I'll, I'll be the driver. I'll be the chauffeur. Um, and that's nice. I love the North Bay. 
love it. I love it up there in Marin County. It's gorgeous. It's it's green. Uh, there's there's wilderness. The weather's great. It's not unlike San Francisco. It's not just concrete. Um, it's like there's actually nature. It actually feels more like a uh, I don't know a suburb, like where I kind of where I grew up. Like if you go up to um, let's say uh, Auburn Hills in northern Detroit. Like there's there's actually like nature and there's like little towns nestled in it. Like it, it feels like that. It's not like a major urban area. It's not like the South Bay, like Palo Alto or Mountain View, where it's just suburban sprawl. Everything seems to be covered. Um, it's more like Los Altos, actually. Um, Los Altos is a pretty beautiful town, which is just. Uh, just south of Mountain View, Palo Alto, down in the South Bay. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous little town. And it's, it's right in the mountains. Like if you wanna go hiking, it's just right there. Beautiful properties, but it's prohibitively expensive. The only way you live in Los Altos is if you are, I would guess, the founder of a successful company or you've, you've managed to, you come from means. Something like that, that's, that's who lives in Los Altos. It seems to be roughly the same in the North Bay. North Bay is beautiful. And you would think being so far removed from the city of San Francisco, uh, it's over the Golden Gate Bridge, that it wouldn't be as much as San Francisco, but it's actually more expensive to live up there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know who lives up there. I don't know who owns property up there. I, mean, I feel like you would have to, again, be very wealthy in order to do so. Uh, doesn't seem like that. It seems like, well, I, I don't know. Anyway, I love getting up there. I love getting up there and just uh, being out in the wilderness. Um, I drove up there a couple of years ago around Christmas time, like 2018. I just had nothing really to do in the month of December. So I went up there a few times and it's uh, was beautiful. Especially for Christmas, people had their lights up. Uh, little little towns, small little downtown areas had their like Christmas theme stuff going on. I love that, love it. And I definitely I love that more. I think than uh, San Francisco. San Francisco San Francisco itself has been growing on me. Most of my complaints about it for the past uh, year year and a half have been largely based on the fact that I've been kind of a shut-in. Um, just that I've been getting out, but it's only in my neighborhood, which happens to be very, very industrial. It's where a lot of tech companies are. If there are residential places where people live are basically large condo buildings or large apartment buildings. Um, it's not like the west side of the city. Uh, over in over in Nopa, um, North of Panhandle, Inner Sunset, Outer Sunset, the Richmond District, um, Haight Ashbury. These places actually have houses. They, they, a lot of them have like many of their old style Victorian houses that are either houses or they've been converted into apartments. You don't have these massive, massive structures that are just packed with units. You just have what used to be houses that are converted into apartments. 
it has a very, very different feel to it. And Golden Gate Park is over there. So there's a massive, massive, like a central park, uh, New York. If it's that, that on that side of the city. So it's gorgeous over there. Um, it's a little problematic because I don't know, the tech jobs are over here. So if I get a tech job, it's probably going to be in the neighborhood I currently reside in, maybe the financial district, which is just north uh, of where I am. If I live on that side of the city, if I move over there, uh, then it's going to be uh, commuting across the city back over here to get to work every day, which I think a lot of people do, and I'm not too keen on that. I, I would like to be able to walk to work. Um, but you know, you can't have, can't have everything you want. I'm just glad that that's now an option. I do remember the very first thing I drove into San Francisco to see when I moved here and started my job. First few months there, I took a day to drive up to San Francisco. And the first thing I did was go check out the botanical garden. San Francisco Botanical Garden, which is in Golden Gate Park, which is on the west side of the city, further to the north. And I didn't know this at the time, um, but that's incredibly inaccessible. Like I came up, saw it, and I realized San Francisco is beautiful. I was like, I'd like to live up here. I don't want to live down in suburban Palo Alto area. That's close to work, but San Francisco is a whole lot different. I was like, that was like, there's a, there's a big park up here. There's people out. It feels like there's community. There's, there's, it was just absolutely wonderful. I looked into it a little bit later. And of course I found out that the area around the botanical garden is perhaps the most inaccessible, um, to the job I had at the time. So to get from the botanical garden down to mountain view during rush hour, however you do that, that's probably two or three hours each way every morning and every evening. And so I was like, well, this is a nice idea, but I just started this job. I'm going to be there for a few years. There's no way I can move up anywhere near the botanical garden on the west side of the city. I can't do that because the commute's just going to be hell. It's, it's going to be I won't, I won't stay at that job or I'll have to move back down. So I realized I, it's a few years I'm going to stay at my job. So I can't live there until that's, so till some time has passed, I leave the job and I'm ready for something new. That was like three, four years ago. The few years I said, okay, I projected out where that would be possible have now passed. I'm now in the future where that is now an option. So I could move over to that side of the city. I could be living very, very close to Golden Gate Park and be commuting to a job in the city. Might be 45 minutes uh, walk, maybe biking, maybe to get one of those little scooters or something. Um, I now have that option. I now have that option. I'm so excited about that. I think that is so awesome. Um, because the last time I thought about it, I was like, yeah, this is not an option to me. I just, I had to put it out of my mind and not think about it because it was just completely off the table. It's back on the table. And I'm so thrilled about that. So um, I'm really excited about the possibilities and I'm excited about what, what I could do uh, next.
Anyway. Anyway. We'll see. We will see. Um, what else is going on? Oh, yeah. So I was on Instagram today, and I found one of my coworkers. Um, one of my former coworkers. And I mean, the, I realized that they're all connected with each other. Like, I have no idea who any of them are on social media. For the most part, I, I don't really care. Um, I'm only passively interested in what they're doing. Like, I don't want to see them on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Um, but I, I don't want to go to the trouble of adding them and having them sharing their personal lives with me. And I don't want them seeing my personal life. It's just not the right medium for that. But I found a bunch of them on Instagram and started following them. Uh, yeah, it feels like the right time. I've been kind of distancing myself, like detoxing from work. Cause I, I just wanted to put where I came from out of my mind to kind of just forget about that. Let the thought patterns, let the behavioral patterns that I had adopted there die. And only after that, once I've kind of had a clean slate in my mind, once my palate has been cleansed, um, then sort of, start reconnecting with them and figuring out what they're up to. Uh, and I did that today. I found a bunch of them and followed them on Instagram so I can stay apprised of, uh, some of what's going on with some of them. Uh, I don't know. That is one thing I noticed now looking back on my job that I just was at for three and a half years. I, I recognize now that, yeah, I was too quiet way too quiet. I didn't make enough of an effort to connect with people and make friends. The thing is, people I'm working with, I always know who they are. I pay very, very close attention to who they are, to what matters to them. But I really, I'm, I'm aware of who they are. I'm aware of their name. I try and know what I can about them. I try and treat them with, at least with respect, but I try and, I try and know something about them. I don't think I make that clear, you know, I just kind of do it from a distance. You know, I care about the people that I work with, but I don't think I express it. I don't think, I don't think I make it clear. I think I'm, I just come across as sort of like being aloof and quiet and, you know, I follow them on Instagram. I'm reasonably sure that none of them are going to follow me back because I, I, I really have never given any of them a reason to. I haven't really given very many of them a reason to. Um, that's, that's disappointing. It's the bet I made, so I'll, I'll, I'll lie in it, but, uh, yeah. Not doing that again. It's the same thing with the job I left in Southern California, too. Like, I left that job without too many people that I stay in touch with. You know, I, I, I knew my coworkers. I don't think my coworkers knew me as well as I knew them. Uh, just because I'm, yeah, somewhat introverted. But, uh, but yeah, so things not to do in the future. Uh, be more gregarious and outgoing. Anyway, my headphones are about to die, meaning my microphone is about to die, which means that is the signal for me to cut this off and, yeah, call this a night. Time for me to go exercise in some form or another. Uh, you? Wherever you are, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you're happy and healthy. I hope you're surviving out there through all this madness. Um, we're going to get through this together. Yes. So.
Uh, this is Jim bidding you adieu. Till next time, you stay classy. Cheers.